Worship team, thank you so much for blessing us today. You truly are a blessing, and your passion for the Lord shines through. Well, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to jump right into the Word of God. We are going to be looking at God Creates. That is the topic for our series today, Doctrine, Living What We Believe. We're going to be looking at how God creates. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that it is your breath that is in our lungs. As we see in Genesis, you blew into the nostrils of man to give him life. You formed him and shaped him out of dust. I thank you, Father, for your breath. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will breathe a fresh breath upon us today. As we worship you through hearing of the word, God, may it not just be something that we add to our minds where we learn something new, but God, may it be transformative. May we see creation in a new way where we become someone new, where it changes our very lives. We thank you, God, that you love us. We thank you that we have this opportunity to worship you in this way. And I pray that you'll be with us. Speak through me. Speak through your word, Holy Spirit. And touch our hearts. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, there's a story that I want to share with you that some credit to Sir Isaac Newton. Now, I, I researched and I tried to find this exact narrative in the life of Sir Isaac Newton, who was a Christian scientist, but I was unable to find it. However, the narrative, the story, is still very compelling. And it, and it goes this way, as, as two scientists, one Christian and one atheist, met together in the atheist uh, scientist's office. And as the Christian walks in, he notices a planetary model where he sees the entire solar system developed in a model. And they begin to have a discussion about science, and it's a very rigorous time of discussion and learning from one another. And before the Christian scientist leaves his colleague's office, he notes the planetary model. And he says, wow, it is incredible how that planetary model just randomly showed up out of nowhere in your office and was just, boom, a happy accident that landed in your office. And the, uh, the, the atheist scientist wasn't taking the bait, didn't really understand what was happening. And he's like, that didn't happen by accident. Obviously, someone made it and I purchased it and I put it into my office. And the Christian scientist then said this, how can you say that the entire cosmos is an accident if you can't even fathom the idea that the small replica of the cosmos could be an accident? And he looked at his friend and he said, you just made a case for the Creator." Now, we are going to be talking about God creating today. And our church and myself and our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, believes that God created everything out of nothing. We believe and affirm the doctrine of creation. We affirm and believe that you and I, man, are created in the image of God. That God breathed breath into our lives. That God took Eve out of the rib of Adam. We look at those as literal moments of creation. That is our belief. And so I want you to know that is where we stand as a denomination, where I stand as a pastor, and where we stand 
as a church. We can see in Psalm 33, 6 and 9, Acts 4, 24, Hebrews 11, 3, Revelation 4, 11, and throughout Genesis, the truth of this creation. Now, the Old and New Testament alike talk about this reality of God being our creator, that God spoke everything into existence. Now, as I approach this sermon, I want you to understand and know I am not going to give an apologetics lesson. I'm not going to teach us how we can prove that God created. I want us to come to a place where we see, okay, God has created. Now, what does that mean for my life? Because I believe that as we look at the scriptures, as we look at doctrine, that many times you and I can just do that. It's something I believe, simply a belief, but it doesn't impact our very lives. But what we believe about God should inform our lives, not just our minds. What we believe about God should inform our lives, not just our minds. That is why we have looked at this entire series. We call it Doctrine living what we believe. So it's not just adding more information to our cap. It's not adding more arguments into our understanding or our ideas. It's saying, what does doctrine mean for my life? What do these beliefs mean for how I live? Because what we believe about God should impact our lives, not just our minds. And so as we look at the doctrine of creation, we have to come to the question, We must seek to see how creation informs our Christian living. That's the question that we are going to be answering today. How does the doctrine of creation inform the way in which I live my life? How does creation change how we live? And so we're going to be doing what I like to call biblical calisthenics. We're going to be moving from Genesis into the Psalms, and we're going to end in Revelation. So just tuck in with me, and on the screen you'll be able to follow with me where we are, but I will tell you exactly where we are before I begin to read, so that if you desire, you can open your Bible there. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. And again, I'm reading from the ESV, so if it looks a little bit different in your Bible, that is why. And it is on the ESV on your screen right now. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. Of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. We're going to move to Genesis 1 27 through 31. Genesis 1, 27 through 31. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis 2, 5 through 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist, a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed." Psalm 33, verses 3 and 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Acts 4, 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and everything in them. Finally, Revelation 4, 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Woo! Man, that is a lot of excitement. That is a lot of power and passion. That is a lot of description of what God has done in creation. How God has created. How God has formed. But there's also 
four implications for Christian living that we can see within these passages. Within these verses, we can see these four implications of Christian living. And I believe that the first implication for Christian living is that of powerlessness. Let me describe that to you and explain that. The implication that we will look at first is that of powerlessness. God's display of power in creation proves our powerlessness. God's display of power in creation proves our powerlessness. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, there is no doubt of God's power. God spoke and it was. God said and it happened. And it's a beautiful imagery in Genesis 1. It is very poetic where it says God made and he said it was good. There was evening and there was morning. God then filled each of those areas that he had made. He filled the sky. He filled the sea. He filled the earth. He filled the air. It is so beautiful to see how God has opened and created and then filled. Opened and created and then filled. And he did that all with his words. God spoke and it was. The sheer power that that has is mind-boggling. And as we look at that power and as we understand what God has done, we must look at ourselves and recognize our own powerlessness. I love the, the Hebrew word bara, which is that word for created, that God created. Bara is a powerful word in the Hebrew language. And here's what one author says of the word bara. The verb bara expresses better than any other verb the idea of absolute creation or creation ex nihilo. Creation ex nihilo is a, a Latin term for out of nothing. There was nothing. There was absolutely nothing except God and God alone. And God looked at the nothingness and he spoke into it. And there was earth and there was heaven. There was day. There was night. There was land. There was sea. There was sky. There were birds and animals. And finally he comes to the place where he creates man. Man then was created by God as well. And when we look at ourselves and recognize I am a created being, we come to the place of recognition that we are actually powerless because our destiny is in the hands of the divine creator. I know that we don't like that idea because we want to say that my destiny is in my own hands. That I am the divine. I am the one who controls my future. I am the one who is in charge of my life. But if you look at the doctrine of creation correctly, you will recognize, I'm sorry, your destiny is not in your own hands. Your life is not in your own hands. Your destiny is in the hands of the divine creator. If we are created, we are reliant upon a creator. Now this, I fully believe, is the reason why people try to say there is no creator. Because we as humans are obsessed with our own control. We're obsessed with living the way that we want to live. If there is a creator and we are reliant upon him and we are powerless, that means then that what he says must be law. What he says must 
must be true. What he asks of us to do and not to do must be the way in which we were properly designed. And we don't like that. Because like children, we don't want to be told what to do. We want to just do it. Creation shows us our powerlessness. Creation shows us that we are not in control. We are so powerless that if certain aspects of creation were off by just a fraction, life on earth would cease to exist. This is called the theory of fine-tuning. Fine-tuning refers to the surprising precision of nature's physical constants and the early conditions of the universe. The universe has physical constants with even slightly different values. The universe simply could not support life. Fine-tuning not only proves a divine creator, but proves he is in control of every small detail. He is in control of every small detail. If the oxygen to nitrogen gas changed in our atmosphere or on the planet, we would cease to exist. If the light from the sun was slightly stronger and closer to the earth, we would be scorched. If it was slightly further away, we would be frozen. My friends, every small, minute detail of creation points to the fact that we are not in control. That is a frustrating place to come. But it can also be a beautiful place of recognition where we can see I am limited, he is unlimited. I am powerless, but he is powerful. Because our powerlessness leads us to worship that which is powerful, namely the Lord. Romans 1, 19 through 20 sings of this truth that all of creation points to the creator. That we are without excuse when we look at creation and we can't be in awe and worship and say, someone had to make this. This is too beautiful. This is too perfect. This is too fine-tuned. This beauty of creation and our powerlessness should put us on our knees and say, oh God, you must have created this because there is no accident in this. This has to be a purposeful reality. Our powerlessness leads to worship that which is powerful, namely the Lord. My favorite systematic theologian, Wayne Grudem, says this, the Bible teaches that God is distinct from his creation. He's not part of it, for he has made it and rules over it. The term often used to say that God is much greater than creation is the word transcendent. Very simply, this means that God is far above the creation in the sense that he is greater than the creation and he is independent of it. Our God, folks, is transcendent. And here's the beauty of that. Because the doctrine of creation not only points to our powerlessness, it points to everything's powerlessness. There is nothing, there is no one, there is no possible thing on this planet, in this universe, anywhere that you could look that is more powerful than God. God is the ultimate power. Creation speaks of his power because he didn't even pick things up and start making it. He took out of nothing and spoke something into it. 
ex nihilo, bara, he created this beautiful, powerful God. And man, should it lead us to worship? Should it lead us to this place of not being fearful? As we look around to what is happening in our society right now, we do not need to be afraid because we have a creator who's powerful enough to speak the entirety of the universe into existence with one word. He can speak anything out of existence as well. Everything and everyone is powerless before the powerful, transcendent God. The first implication for our lives in creation and the doctrine of creation is the idea of powerlessness. The second implication is that of purpose. Humanity was created on purpose for a purpose. And we see that beauty as God has created man, as he formed him in the dust and he breathed into his life and he took Eve out of the rib of man and he said, be fruitful and multiply. He gave Adam a job and said, name the animals. He said, all of these things that I have created around you are for you. And when he looked at Adam and said, it is not good for man to be alone, he brought him a helper, woman. And they were created together in the image of God. Humanity was created on purpose for a purpose. What I love about this is, is if you look at the narrative and the poem of Genesis in creation, where it says, God said, and it was done, and it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. But then when he sees man alone, he says, it is not good. And then he creates man and woman. And then he says, it is very good. You and I brought the very to good in creation. When he looked upon creation as he had created man, Adam and Eve, in his own image, then he could say, it is very good. What does this mean? This means that we were created on purpose for a purpose, which means we are not happy accidents. Just like that, atheist scientists could not determine or think or fathom that this module of this solar system could have happened by accident you and I, we are not accidents. It was not a happy mistake. Oh, and there's humans. No, it was not an accident. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to drop something. And oh, there all of a sudden it became a dog. That just doesn't happen. Accidents like that do not happen. And to believe that three to six elements that were preexistent in all of the world came together and made a big crash and a big bang and then... Everything showed into existence. That, in my opinion, takes much more faith than to look around and say there had to be a designer. There had to be a creator. You could take all these different things that make up a computer and throw them in the air and they fall on the ground and they're all still separate pieces of a computer. You don't, no matter how many times statistically you throw them in the air, they will never come together to build a computer. And humans and creation is far much more complex than any computer that has ever been built. We are not happy accidents. Listen to what the renowned atheist Bertrand Russell once, once said. He said this, that man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collations of atoms, 
only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. That, that, that's not very convincing. He calls this the firm foundation of unyielding despair. I don't know if I want to live on a firm foundation of unyielding despair. But that is the very honest conclusion that comes when it comes to saying that we as humanity are accidents. There comes a despair of what good is life. Why am I even here? What is my purpose? If I'm an accident, if I go away, what does it matter? Now, there was a French philosopher who was an atheist philosopher in, in Paris. When I went a couple years ago as a, a missionary with our group uh, from the CMA, and I was talking with a couple of folks, and they said, yeah, there's this, this new philosopher that's on the scene, and he's telling young adults, people my age and a little bit younger, he's telling them, do you like your job? If you don't, then you're probably not living in your meaningful purpose. And if you look around and you recognize that maybe nothing in your life would fit, then you are purpose and then you should just kill yourself. Now, I know that sounds extreme, but several millennials in France began to, to kill themselves because they saw no purpose in their life. They were living in that unyielding despair and could not see a way out, did not see why they existed. And if they couldn't find a reason or a purpose for their existence, they felt, as this philosopher said, they might as well just end it. But when we know that we were, cre- we were created on purpose for a purpose, then we want to find our purpose. Why am I here? And I will tell you that the only person who can fully understand and fully share with you who you are and why you are here is your creator who created you. Whenever you look to a new piece of technology to try and understand it, and you're kind of baffled, and you're saying, what in the world? How do I even use this thing? Or as Liam would say, what the world? As he looks at something that he doesn't understand. What the world? We look at technology, what do you do? You turn to the manual. Who created the manual? The creator. And so you understand the purpose and the full value and the full capability of that new piece of technology from the creator in the manual, and then you use it and you figure out, wow, the creator really knew what they were talking about when they made this manual. That is why we have the scriptures. That is the manual of life. Let me share with you atheism and the Big Bang Theory of creation at their core beliefs leave humans without any purpose. Atheism and the Big Bang Theory leave humanity without any purpose at all. This is one of the reasons why I love the atheist philosopher and scientist Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is very honest about this point. He is very honest in his writings. I I, I talked with an atheist student in New York many years ago, and he read uh, the Bible, and I read The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. And in that book, Richard Dawkins was very honest and said, in my belief, there is really no purpose for humanity. And if you get down and dig to it, and you dig into my beliefs, what's good for you is good for you, even if it's illegal. Because how am I supposed to tell you there's a moral continuum 
if I don't believe that there's a purpose for life. That's the end result of an accidental existence. In these verses, we see four implications for Christian living. We've looked at two. The third implication is that of love. We saw the implication of powerlessness. We saw the implication of purpose, that God has created us on purpose for a purpose. And now we look at the implication of love. Knowing where we were created is knowing we are loved. Knowing we are created is knowing we are loved. Our very existence proves the fact that we are loved. If you look at this passionate display of creation, that God as he creates man and breathes his breath into man, he did this with no other animal. He breathes his breath into man. And then he creates Eve from the rib of Adam, and he says, it is very good. God created humanity for the purpose of relationship, to pour his love into us, and we would pour our love into him. How do we know this? How do we know it was relational? Well, when you see Adam and and Eve fall in sin, they hide from God. They heard God walking in the garden, and they ran away and hid. What you can infer in that is that before they fell, if they heard God walking in the garden, they would have ran to him. They would have walked in the garden alongside of him. And God looks at them and said, you see that tree, that fruit, that plant, that animal? It's for you, Adam. You see that tree, that fruit, that plant, that animal? It's for you, Eve. All of creation, I wanted you to see. I made it all for you. You have dominion over all of it. I have created it and said, go. Be fruitful and multiply. May there be more of you on this earth because I love you, because I've created you, because I want to be with you. Any artist doesn't look at something that they've created and immediately say, I hate it. I'll never like this ever. Well, maybe some do and they don't like it. But when you create your masterpiece and you look at it and you say, yes, yes, you try to find the display case that you could show off your masterpiece. That's how God treats you and treats me. We are the epicenter, the tip, the most beautiful part of creation. And that is why he says, after Adam and Eve are created, he says, it is very good. One author says this, the Bible teaches that creation in general and human life in particular were made by God, belong to God, exist for God, and are restless apart from God. God has created us with a desire for community with him. If he is triune, and he is, and we will talk about that later, he already is community, and he has created us in his image with a desire for community, where we are together with one another, and we are together with him, where we create that triuneness with him as we are human to human, human to human to God. You see, we are created for love. We are created by love. We are created for community. Humanity's longing for love is also a longing for the Lord. 1 John 4, 7 through 21, some of my favorite scriptures of all time. 
Because we see that God has created us for love. He is love. And when we long for love, because we've been created for love, we can only find it in the Lord. It's like the donut man said, there is a hole in the middle of my heart because my heart is like a donut. Now, I don't know if you've ever known the Donut Man, but that song is probably now going in your head if you know the Donut Man. Because my heart is like a donut, is like a donut, is like a donut. You should look at it on YouTube. It's really great. All right? It's classic 1990s Christian awesomeness. But here's the deal. The point is true that we have a hole in the middle of our hearts and only the Lord can fill that portion. We might think as humans that we understand love, but if we are separated from our creator, we don't really know what love is at all because God is love. And when we see our humanity, when we see the humans around us searching and longing for love, as we see this happens in humanity all over the place, They're really longing for the Lord because the Lord is love. God has created us for love. If we are connecting to our creator, we are connecting to love. Creation should lead us to the loving arms of our Lord. But when we neglect this fact that we are created for love, by love, to be in relationship of love with the Lord. We begin to search for love in all of the wrong places. We thrust ourselves like Gomer, Hosea's wife, into the arms of others. We whore ourselves out to drugs and alcohol and power and sex and all these other things that humanity thinks will fill the hole. They, they think it will fill that longing for love, but the Lord is the only place. He is the only one that we can come to and be satisfied in love because he created us for love with him in community. That is how we were created. We were created for love. Dawkins, as I said, he's probably the most honest atheistic scientific philosopher. He said the universe is bleak cold and empty. But so what? That was his response. Yeah, okay, it's bleak and cold and empty. Who cares? Now, I would love to sit down with that guy and say, well, who cares? You, let's look at what you do with your life. What are you trying to fill those empty places with? And I'm sure it's all kinds of not really good stuff. But the emptiness that he feels and he sees The bleakness and the coldness that he feels and he sees is because he is distant from his lover. He is distant from his purpose. He is not recognizing his powerlessness. That is a sad, hopeless way to live. Why choose that path? Why not find the love that we have in our Lord? Another beautiful thing that we can see in 1 John 4, 7 through 21 is that being loved allows us to give love. Being loved allows us to give love. When we look at the doctrine of creation, not only are we to understand the implication of us being loved, but we also can see the implication of us giving love. The only way that you and I can offer true Awesome, real, authentic love is through the love of the Father. 
It is only as we are connected to God, the creator of love, the sustainer of love, the being who is called love, can we appropriately and properly give love. All other love that we try to offer that does not flow from the being that is love becomes tainted and improper. Love that flows from the Lord in and through us to our children, to our spouse, to those around us can be felt as authentic. I'm sure you've walked into someone's place and they said, oh, hey, I love you, man. And you're like, I don't think you really love me. You said yesterday you love Doritos, so you like me as much as you like Doritos, right? But the reality is, is that God loves us so completely, that God designed us for a purpose, that God created us for a reason, that God poured his very breath into us because of his love. That type of love transforms the way we love one another. We don't just spout it off as something simple. It is something that is real and raw within us. When we say, I love you, it is a meaning of passion. When we see the doctrine of creation, it should shape the way we love. My friends, it has much more implications. The the doctrine of creation has many more implications than just knowing how to argue with an atheist. It shapes everything about your life. Because if there is no creator, Dawkins is right. It is bleak, cold, and lonely, and empty. But the reality is, my friends, is that is not true. Because we do have a creator. One who has created us with a purpose, on purpose. And that is the purpose of love. The fourth implication that we're going to see for Christian living today is the implication of commonality. I'm going to explain that in a moment, but say first that there are so many more implications that the doctrine of creation could teach us in our lives. These are the four main, as I prayed and thought, what does God want to say to us? These are the four ones that I saw. These are absolutely true. Powerlessness, purpose, love, and commonality. So what does the fourth implication mean for us? The fourth implication of commonality, I believe, is this. Humans, bearing the image of God, brings commonality within humanity. Genesis 1, 26 through 27, we see that we are created in His image. So that means that no one ethnicity, no one gender is made supreme over the other. Now, we see that there are areas where man is told to lead the house, but that does not make a man supreme over the woman. That means that they are wandering through life together, and God has given them different directives and how they lead and how they live. There is no one ethnicity or gender that is supreme to the other. And we can see this in the commonality of humanity. Man and woman were both created by God, and in His image, He created them. And we see that this idea of commonality of humanity has been broken down. We have seen so much ethnic ethnic bias, gender bias in our world where we are not coming to the place where we say we are all created in the image of God. We are not seeing the beauty of the Imago Dei. We do not see or look at the stamp of God upon that person's life. Whether they are a believer or not, they still have the stamp of the image of God. They might not be going to heaven, but they still have the stamp of the image of God because God has created all of humanity with the commonality of his image. We were created in his 
image, the imago Dei, the image of God. We all bear the stamp of personality. We all bear the stamp of the desire for community. We all bear the stamp of the desire for love and relationship. All of that at creation comes from the Father. He has a desire for relationship. He has a passion for love. He has a passion for community. And what we're going to do next week is we're going to look at the nature of God and those pieces of God's nature that we have and the pieces of God's nature that we don't have because he is transcendent. But we do have commonality with God in some of the attributes that he himself displays in the scripture. And if we have commonality with him and he's created all of humanity in his image, we have commonality with one another. It has been sad. It has been sad to see this not lived out in our day. It has been sad that we see people die and are murdered because of their ethnicity. It wounds my heart that we can be so disparaging against people who do not look like us or who do not have the same financial status that we have or those who do not have the same standards of living in in where they live or the type of car they drive or whatever. It might seem weird and awkward. You say, oh, I don't know if I believe that. But look, somewhere back in your life, you have given a bias against someone else because of some other reason. I know I have. But we see in creation that you and I are all created with the same image of God, that no one ethnicity, no one gender is more important or more supreme than the other. The theologian Erickson, he says this, The doctrine of creation and of the descent of the entire human race from one original pair means that we are all related to one another. But if the bond between us is fully understood and acted upon, it should produce a concern and empathy for other people. It should produce a concern and empathy for other people. This beautiful reality of living in the image of God, being stamped with his picture, means that we should have concern and empathy for our brother and for our sister. Are we living that way? Seeing the equality of man in the image of God, we should stand against inequality when we see it in this world. Because if we truly have concern for one another, if we truly have empathy for one another, we should stand against it and say that person is made in the image of God. That person is made in the image of God. In the book of Ephesians, you'll remember way back two years ago, we went through the entire book of Ephesians and we saw that Paul dealt with this issue with the, the church in Ephesus over and over again. We see him talking to Jew and Gentile being one in the body of Christ that because we are under the banner of Christ, we are all connected together as brothers and sisters. We are all one. Now, those who don't have faith in Jesus are not one with us in that sense, but we are created in the image of God, each and every one of us. You look at Acts, and you see Peter on the roof, and God says, you know, eat these things. And he says, I can't. Those are unclean. And he says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And that was the story of Cornelius, the one who was a Gentile who had become saved, where he might not have hung out with Cornelius because he was dirty. And he might not have been able to witness to him because of his ethnic bias against him. 
Paul constantly talks to the church in Ephesus about this. Theman, a, a commentator about specifically Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, says this, The Jews saw the Gentiles as excluded from their social group and therefore from the special relationship with God, of which circumcision was the outward physical mark. They had sinfully applied the law and excused their ethnic bias as normative. They said, well, they could never have the same special relationship with God that I can because they're Gentiles. And Paul called them out on the carpet and said, no, when it comes to the idea of circumcision, it is not a circumcision of the body. God has changed the rules. The covenant is different. We live in a new covenant. That's what Jesus said. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, where it is no longer circumcision of the body, but a circumcision of the heart, saying, God, you can have it all. I want to bear the, the beauty of the Holy Spirit in my life to be set apart for you to be set apart as different. And he was calling the church out and saying, listen, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have because we're all in the image of God. All of us can come to Christ no matter our background, no matter our ethnicity because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because you and I are created in the image of God, we have commonality with all of humanity. We're all created with the stamp of God upon us, and we need to begin to see the beauty of His image. We can look at all of creation, the trees, the rivers, the mountains, the valleys, the hills, and we can say there's a Creator. But when we look at each and every one of the humans around us, we can be awestruck more than any other part of creation because that person, that person, that person was created in the image of God. And I must treat them and love them that way. Because when it comes to salvation, again, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And I, I love how doctrine is not just a belief that we adhere to. How when we open up the scripture and understand what God is saying, it should change and transform our lives. The doctrine of creation has these four and many more implications for Christian living. But the four that we're focusing in on are the implication of powerlessness. God is all-powerful. He spoke everything into existence from nothing. You and I are powerless. We were made on purpose for a purpose. We are here for a reason, and the creator, the manual writer of your life can and will tell you your purpose and why you are here and how you can live in the fullness of why he has created you and how he has created you. We're also created for love, by love, for love, to give love, not just receive love. That is the third implication that we see in our Christian life. And the fourth is that there is commonality within humanity. And my prayer is that we will resolve to allow the Holy Spirit of God to utilize the doctrine of creation to implement these four implications into our lives. That we will consistently walk in humility, recognizing our powerlessness. That we will consistently turn to the Lord 
for our purpose, that we will consistently go after the Lord's love so that we can give the Lord's love. And that's only through Jesus Christ dying on the cross that we can have the fullness of God's love. And finally, that we will see the beauty in the commonality of humanity. Will you resolve with me to implicate those things into our lives, to place those realities of the doctrine of creation in your life and in my life? Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you that you have created all things. I thank you that you shaped me and you formed me and you molded me in my mother's womb to give me the purpose and the call that you have given me upon my life. I thank you for all that are watching today that you have shaped them and molded them and you have formed them in their mother's womb for the purpose that they have on earth now. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh upon us, that we will humbly come to you recognizing our powerlessness, that we will recognize you give us purpose. And I pray that your presence will so surround us that we can experience your love today as we look at creation and know that you created us because you wanted to be with us. You created us for you. And you've created us desiring you. And may we see the commonality of humanity in the image that you stamped upon all of humanity. In your name, amen.